Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. Take a dose of every day. How am I supposed to stay in a world built on empty ways? And the lessons are all the Thanks for listening to this podcast. Rob Snow White here, Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. This is Series 1, Episode 70, the 2014 Salmon River Trip. Now, this trip wasn't even going to happen for me. I hadn't planned on even going up this year. It was a long end to the summer. Wasn't sure if the car would make it. Wasn't sure if I had the time or the strength, etc., I finally contacted Dan Morgan of Project Healing Waters and Iris Strauss, who is with Fort Bragg Project Healing Waters. This was towards the end of the summer, and they confirmed that a trip would be happening on Halloween weekend. Now, being a parent, I was a little hesitant to have to skip Halloween, so the plan would be drive up after trick-or-treating, but that is way down the future from where we're going to start things. So the prep to the podcast started around, oh, let's say September. I had to go to a wedding in Ohio, and that gave me a chance to stop into the fly shops around there and pick up some time materials. If you listen to the Awful Ohio podcast, you know quite well what I'm talking about. It was the Lady Amherst feathers that I was searching for. I decided to tie hobos. It's an easier, not intruder style fly, but uh, when you tie in a shank with a trailer hook on it, it requires very little material, but the economics of it get complicated with Lady Amherst when each feather plume can run up to $20. Now, you have to remember that my in-laws in Ohio really only speak Russian at the house. So I was going to be there for a week, 
we were going to watch our little cousin, Elena, marry Caleb. Caleb's a hunter and fisherman, so I'm glad he's part of the family now. And I basically set up camp in my father-in-law's office and tied soft hackle flashback pheasant tails for a week straight. I tied them slow. I tied them meticulously. I thought they were pretty darn neat. So now the plan is I'm going to drive up for the Healing Waters trip. The nasty car will carry the boat. And then friends will meet me up there and we will fish a couple days after the Healing Waters trip. Because I'm going to drive up there for the Healing Waters trip. Might as well stay for a couple extra days and do some fishing. So I also went to Cabela's. Loaded up on some tippet material. For me, that's Berkeley Vanish and or Seaguar. And some swivels and some split shot. I think that was about it. Got some dubby material, I believe, too, up at Mad River Outfitters in Columbus. And I picked up that Wopsy Zement while I was at the Orvis store in Columbus, Ohio. And I'm watching this podcast being recorded on the dodgy laptop here. And it seems to be recording fine. If this one doesn't work out, I am going to trash the whole idea of a podcast for this. So we originally recorded this podcast on the digital handheld, which you'll find out later uh, has been misplaced, has been misplaced. So I'm left to recording what I can remember. And now this is the 22nd of November. It's been quite a while since the trip. So I have notes here. I have the blog, and I've got photos. So sit back and relax. We're going to break this up into preparing for the trip. We'll go into driving up there, a couple of days with healing waters, a couple of days with friends, and then the ride home. And let's get to it. So like I said, uh, we prepared. I tied some flies up there, and this year it was going to be st- Scott Stankus, Thomas Perkins, and Jason Reef. That's producer Jason to you. And you already know Stankus. He was on the trip last year. They were the only ones that could make it up. I booked a room at the Trestle Pool Lodge. Pleased to be remembering that at the Trestle Pool Lodge does not have a website. It is a phone number. You can find it on Google. And it's cash only. It's $35 a night during steelhead season. That includes two square meals a day, warm, clean beds, a hot shower, a bathroom, fireplace or heater, and access to a full kitchen, which has been part of the newly remodeled part of the lodge. And I later found out there's electric hookup because my boat had not been charged since the Snakehead Tournament. So I thought it'd be prudent to charge the boat while we were up there. Why not? I had the opportunity. Dan, the fishing manager at Orvis in Arlington, was nice enough. You know what? Hold on a second. I'm going to put this microphone in its stand. I'm going to probably delete all of this. Now, the problem is I'm not seeing a whole lot of blue here, Jason, when I'm when I'm uh, talking into the microphone. There's not a big blue bars popping up. Maybe that's normal or it could just be the dodgy laptop. All right. So Dan and Orvis in Arlington, Virginia, decided, well, allowed us, I called him, to host a little fly tying session before we all met up on the river. The wife did not want me to host one here. 
I've been relegated to the hallway between my daughter's bathroom and her bedroom to tie flies on a card table. So I decided to call Dan and said, hey, how about a Saturday, a couple of us show up and we will tie flies for the trip. And if we need any materials, we will just buy them right there from the store. And Dan was quite cool with that. And he even went out and bought beer at the end. And I'm a little distracted right now. Um, I do have the VH1 Top 20 Countdown on. I do like my videos still. And last week, there was a Nick Jonas video, and they interviewed Nick Jonas. And if you don't know who this is, just tune out for now. I made a correction on Twitter to Jim Shearer, the host of the show, about something that Nick Jonas said about the video. And uh, Jim replied to me on Twitter and said I was correct, and maybe they will have that this week. So we tied flies at the Orvis store. I cranked out purple crystal buggers with the hairline UV polar chenille, tied up a bunch of brightly colored San Juan worms in the four inch range. If you follow the blog, which doesn't really get updated too often anymore, a four inch San Juan has been very productive for me over the summer for largemouth bass and for striped bass too. Be getting a lot of stripers on worms recently i tied up some sucker spawns and jumbo johns now there was a material from the jumbo john no no i forgot the lady amherst plumes that's why i was tying those flies i had planned on tying a bunch of hobos but did not get around to it now the hobo if you look at it is a shank and then you tie down your intruder wire or intruder uh fire line put a ball of dubbing on then you tie in a plume of guinea fowl, and then you do three-quarters of the rest of the shank with dubbing, wrap up your guinea plume, and then you tie in two sparse plumes of spay marabou, and then you tie in a little bit of flash, and then your Lady Amherst, knot it, and you're done. It's a very easy fly. So I tied up uh, about two dozen flies at Orvis, and decided that I wanted some black beads for pheasant tails because I wasn't sure if the silver beads I had tied them with were going to scare the fish away. So I put an order in with the wholesale fly company and got a ton of beads for everybody. The beads are $4 for 100 or 200 You cannot really go wrong with them. Wholesalefly.com. The site's a little slow to load but trust me it is well worth it from there i went home and tied a couple more flies some hobos um, some intruders went to the craft stores and got some more tying materials i got some wires and some yarns dug out some float master indicators and then basically started packing up a month early Things started going into our guest room bathtub because I do live in um, a very small loft condo. There's not a whole lot of space. Before the kid was born, I used to pack on the guest bed. If it fit exactly on the guest bed, I could fit it exactly into the back of the nasty car. So after a month of packing, I got the car loaded up. That week, I decided uh, I would forego trick-or-treating. It was going to be a cold night. wasn't even sure how long everybody would be out. And so I would drive up during the daytime, and then I would camp out in Nasty Car and get up early Saturday morning and do the Healing Waters trip. Now, I also tied a bunch of these flies in bulk because I didn't know what flies we'd have for the Healing Waters trip, and I wasn't sure what 
we'd be fishing up there. So I wanted to have lots for everybody during the Healing Waters trip and everybody after the Healing Waters trip. So I, I got the car packed the night before and loaded up the finishing stuff on Friday morning, the 31st, and got in the car at about 11.30 and took off. It was uh, it was an easy drive. Now, one funny thing was the day before, on uh, the 30th, I was stopping at the bank across the street here in Annandale. And there was a Winnebago VW bus thing. So where was I? Driving up. Yes. This, so I passed this bus thing in the parking lot of Home Depot. And it's got just marijuana leaves all over the bus. And crosses with marijuana leaves and, and graffiti all over it. It was, I'm assuming, to legalize marijuana. And as I'm driving up the next day through the mountains of Pennsylvania... I passed the same freaking bus. And mind you, the back window has Calvin and it's he's pissing on West Virginia State Troopers. And it's this old dude driving it. He's probably in his late 70s. I was expecting some like stoner kids to be driving it, but no. Passed that giant building off of uh, 83. I don't know what they do there. One thing I do enjoy, if you've seen the pictures before from going to Ohio, is I like the rock structures along, along the side of the road. That's about it. Um, so let me tell you some of the stuff I packed. You don't really know the temperatures up there. So I, this is going to be like educational and recapping. Um, so I packed hats. I did, you know, windstopper, fleece, knit hats that are made of wool, fingertipless gloves, foldover gloves. I also, um, what did I pack? Uh, different, you know, silk weight, midweight pants, the nano puff pants from Patagonia. My steelhead sweater, different like three-quarter zip tops, t-shirts, down jackets, three raincoats, two pairs of waders, my two pairs of corkers, my old metal heads, and then my new boots, the Devil's Canyons. I brought uh, one nine and a half foot six weight, three nine foot eight weights, one ten foot eight weight, and one eleven foot eight weight switch rod and when we were at orvis dan sold me a new line a skagit short for my switch rod and it's effing awesome what else did i pack so flies i've got flies for the salmon river dating back to 2001 every year i tie up dozens and dozens and whatever doesn't get used just stays in those boxes i'll use some of those flies throughout the year mainly the buggers and nymphs but I still have, you know, dozens of eggs and buggers and all sorts of crazy things. Uh, sunglasses, Costa Del Mar yellows, Costa Del Mar tuna alleys, my new 580 glass, which are just awesome. Packed my fly in the flats baseball cap, my down, ultralight Patagonia down jacket, and then uh, you know, like the regular camping stove, the BB guns we pulled out of the river. And the great thing about having a boat is you can stuff a lot of the lightweight stuff in the boat and make room for just you know yourself in the car. And I had um, plenty of room to sleep. I also packed a card table so we could tie flies back at the lodge without having to tie on our, our knees. There's a little desk in there, but we learned last year you got to have a card table with you. Split shot. Um, 7-0 BB, size 10 barrel swivels. And for my leaders, it's 30-pound uh, vicious to 20-pound, was a blood knot, to 20-pound 
Berkeley Vanish to a ten size 10 barrel swivel. And then a split shot goes above the barrel swivel and keeps that from sliding down onto your fly. And then uh, 18 inches of either 10 or 12 pound Seaguar or Berkeley Vanish, depending on what's just at hand at the time. And then you've got the fly of choice. The thing about flies up there is, yeah, you're matching the hatch with some things, with stone flies and eggs, bait fish patterns. But a lot of time, it's having that fly at the right place at the right time in front of that fish that's willing to bite. You've got to have confidence in your fly that you can be like uh, Jim Teeny. We've had him on the podcast. And only fishes one fly, the Teeny Nymph. You've got to have confidence in your fly. And what I do is I rotate my flies that I'm using. So we'll start with, um, I even you know wrote it down over here. Start with the San Juan worm, move to crystal meth. From crystal meth, um, an egg pattern. And then from there to a pheasant tail. From there, uh, a San Juan worm, maybe again of a different type material, a blood dot, um, a damsel nymph, and then some sort of intruder or big bugger, and then start over again. And if you're not getting bites, change up your fly, unless you're confident that that's the one fly you need. So just keep rotating them, different patterns, maybe vary the size and vary the colors until you find the fish that are holding that are willing to eat that fly, that color of that size at that particular moment in time. So I do the drive in seven hours. It was pretty uneventful. Only had to stop maybe once for gas. No issues with the car. I get there. It's sunset. I go to all season sports. Get my license. I take a bunch of pictures of the flies they have for sale. Those are going to be on the blog. Um, what else? I get some tie material there. They have some dubbing material, 50% off. I get some zonker material. And it's a great fly shop because... The shops down here, all the zonker materials are on one peg. There you've got a peg for each color, each pattern of zonker. It's unbelievable. So one for cerise, one for fuchsia, one for peach, one for orange, one for rust, one for black, one for white, one for kingfisher blue, one for olive, one for purple. And then you have the same for bard and then the same for crosscut. It's absolutely nuts. Remember, it's cash only for your license. Um, they're generous enough. They give a, a slight discount for guides. And then from there, I was off. I pulled out. It's dark. And I get maybe a quarter of a mile when I get lit up from behind. It's a state trooper. Now, this is kind of questioning me. This is the second time I've been pulled over in about two weeks. And it's for the same reason. My running lights are out on the car. I can't figure out why. Um Happened a couple weeks ago, just when I was driving, I thought it was a fuse. So I replaced the fuse before I drove up. Turns out it is the boat wiring is causing short circuits or overloading, whatever, of the car. And it's blowing the running lights on the car and the boat. So we talked to the cop. I tell him, he's like, what are you doing up here? You got a boat. You here to fish? I was like, ah, I'm here for a couple of days to guide Project Healing Waters. It's... uh fly fishing guided trips and it's emotional and physical rehabilitation for injured and um, wounded vets. He's like, all right, that's awesome. You're doing up here. I appreciate that. Not going to write you a ticket. It's probably just some simple electronics. Wherever you're going, drive the rest of the way with your hazards on 
and fix it in the morning when it's light out and it's a little bit warmer. Now, mind you, it's like 40 degrees different from Annadale, Virginia. And also last year when I left, it took three hours to leave Virginia. That's why I decided to leave during the daytime. And I also like to see the leaves change. From there, I drove to the old abandoned gas station where we used to go to move our bowels and get hot drinks and snacks and sundries outside Altmar on Route 13. I assumed it was abandoned. And there's just an old truck that's parked under the awning. So I parked under the awning, got my bed ready, checked some emails, got in my sleeping bag, got layers up, layers on, and had a fantastic night's sleep. I had a two-inch foam ground pad on top of the table in the back of the car in my old North Face sleeping bag, which has a fleece liner. They don't make them like they used to. And I got a pretty damn good night's sleep. I had my sleeping mask on, which is a buff. Folded over four times. I had earplugs in. And I had my baklava or balaclava or however you pronounce it to keep my face warm. And at some point, I woke up in the middle of the night, looked out the window, and there was a car outside the door to the gas station and the lights were on. So I think somebody lives in there now. So maybe a converted apartment. I don't know. But they were cool and didn't say anything. So I woke up pretty early the next morning. It's frigid cold out. I put away my sleeping gear and I got into my layers. So I put on, I had my silk weights on, put on another layer, then my nano puff pants. The thing about being in a boat all day is you're not in the cold water. So you don't have to layer as much. And I put on pretty much all my layers. It was too cold to put my contacts on. I wanted them to get hot. So I started the car up, put the case in front of the, the hot air, drove over to the hatchery. That's maybe a mile away. I'm the first one there. So I pull up by the boat ramp, which is pretty dodgy. It's it's about um, a foot drop off, and then there's a boulder about five feet back. So the chances of getting your boat in easily and deep enough are going to be a challenge. I start unpacking the boat, taking the top off, putting stuff in the car, just trying to organize everything in the nasty car now that it's daylight. Start stringing up the rods. We've got all the eight weights and six weights all strung up. I'm putting... Um, I've got a 10-foot 8-weight also uh, made by Reddington, which is one of my go-to Salmon River rods. And I don't know the extent to my vet's injury, so I put on a switch line, which has a fat head on it, and just makes casting over handle roll really easy. I put on leaders on all the rods and uh, don't put flies on them yet. Don't know what I want to start with. People start trickling in. There's a tent set up from Fort Drum, 110, uh, is it 110? Let's scroll down through the pictures later and find out. Mountain Division. And there's kerosene heaters. People start showing up. Dan shows up. He's got hot coffee. There's a porta potty right next to the river, which is rather convenient after you're drinking coffee in the morning. And the vets start showing up. We do introductions. Uh, there are equal amount of guides to vets. Plus, there's some guides that I recognize. There's Rob Adaminski. I'm probably butchering your name. He runs Whitaker's. There's another guide. Let me see if I've got his card here. There's no website on it, so it makes it a little hard to look people up. Got to have a website nowadays. Um, yeah, I don't know where my cards are. My desk here has got so many business cards on it, it's nuts. And I just got a new wallet the other day, so I've got some stuff in there that I don't really use anymore. So that's a total of three boats. 
1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. The press shows up. We have a lot of photographers with us. Don't know who they are. Um, We also have the Ford Motor Company is doing a video shoot. So there's a whole paparazzi ready. We do a group photo shoot and then divvy up. Turns out I'm paired up with Charlie. He is a vet from Vietnam, which I think most of these guys are. These are older. I'm more used to a younger crowd of vets, the kids from Iraq and Afghanistan. Mean kids, they're like 18 to 20, 24. Uh, Mostly IED or gunshot wounds from Iraq and Afghanistan. And they're usually missing limbs. A lot of PTSD, a lot of traumatic brain injury, and a lot of amputations. Where these guys from Vietnam have got the PTSD, which is not manifested in in how they move. I don't know what's going on with them. And as a volunteer, I don't ask. If they want to tell me, they will. And I found out later about Charlie's, and you'll hear about that too. So Charlie has some hip problems. He's he's older. He fought in Vietnam uh, in the late 60s. He wasn't comfortable wearing clunky corker spikes on the river. So I said, let's go fish out of my boat. And he's got a Project Clean Waters 9-foot 8 weight with a dodgy plastic reel on it. We later set that up for right angle leaders. And mind you, it's, it's quite cold. It's sunny, but uh, it's cold out. Not a whole lot of wind. So we're, we're pretty layered up. It's the first time I'm wearing fingertipless gloves, windstopper hats. You know, wanted to wear the cowboy hat. It just wasn't warm enough. I'm wearing a lot of layers. And the benefit of also being in the boat is you can have stuff stored throughout the boat. So we've got like down vests, extra raincoats, little hand warmer packets. We put in and we kind of mosey, you know, a little bit upriver, a little bit across. And there's dead salmon everywhere. You can see them on the bottom of the river. And I also decide to put a pulley on the anchor line, which makes it 50% easier to lift that anchor out. I always curse the wife because she forbade me from getting an electric winch for the anchor. So this makes it much easier, a whole lot easier. So it didn't take long for Charlie to hook his first fish. It was a dead salmon, dead king salmon. It was on a glow bug chartreuse and he hooked it right in the lower lip and we landed it doesn't count and this is charlie's really first fly fishing adventure he's never really been out and about before fly fishing and we fish and fish and fish and you see the guys up river that are waiting they're hooking into fish they're in the shallows lined up across some uh, a deep riffle and rob's boat is up there in a nice spot and they're, they're starting to land some steelhead across and up the river. We fished for a good four hours. I want to say we hooked and lost six fish in the morning session. The first fish hooked was on, I'm going to say a chartreuse San Juan worm maybe. Again, this was like three weeks ago, so you have to bear with me here. Um, I put on an a hobo, a pink one, and that gets absolutely slammed, just violent 
violent slam. And Charlie Zahn was first steel head ever. It was awesome. And we rotate through pheasant tail, sucker spawn, worms. I think worms, chartreuse, about three to four inches long, were the hot fly of the morning. Uh, yeah, like I said, you're going to have to bear with me. We're doing the right angle leader, which means it's like a three-foot section of 30-pound tied to an indicator. And then you loop to loop uh, like a four-foot leader behind that, which then hangs down. Just YouTube or Google right angle leader. It'll make sense. Basically, your fly hits the water and goes straight down and has this perfect drift in the water column. And I think that helped a lot. Like I said, it's cold, so we break for lunch, and there's going to be a lot of shout-outs. Thankful to the Salmon River Fish Hatchery, the State of New York, New York State Troopers, the DEC. I want to thank the Cortland Line Company. I want to thank, of course, Project Healing Waters, Dan and Ira, for organizing everything. Thanks to the American Foreign Legion of Pulaski. They're the ones who provided lunch for us. Homemade chili with saltines, and there were hot dogs and hamburgers, Halloween candy, there were apples and oranges and chips and sodas, homemade cookies, somebody had brought breakfast burritos. Um, So a lot of volunteering goes into this, and I want to just give a big thank you to the American Foreign Legion for providing a hot lunch. After lunch, we're all warmed up. We jump back in, and we hook about four more fish. We uh, lose them all again. Charlie, not used to fly fishing, not used to hooking and landing steelhead on a fly rod. Um, So we fished for a couple more hours. Um, It was fun. People are hooking up. We're just not landing fish. Um, Also, I'm not allowed to fish, so I can't really figure out how deep the water is. I'm not figuring out rotation of flies. It's just sort of a gut feeling. But we find the flies that are working, and we hook into some fish. A lot of flies just didn't work. Now, the thing about the DEC is this stretch is only available these two days the entire year to fish. It is a fish sanctuary where these fish can hang out unmolested all summer, all winter, all spring, all fall. There's a stretch between the lower fly zone and the upper fly zone, and that's where these fish are. It's mostly about thigh deep. And these fish basically are happy and unmolested. They're not being pummeled with split shot and flies and indicators all day long. So they're a little more, you know, eager to bite. And maybe that accounted for why we got into more fish than if we were just in a normal spot. But I can tell you that my boat is awesome on the Salmon River. I'm not used to rowing up or down in Fast-moving water, we're used to lakes and tidal creeks, so mainly a trickle of movement and then the tide going back and forth. That's about it. Charlie put his walking stick in with the rod holders, and then I jumped out of the boat. That's how I was moving the boat up and down. It was easier for me to lift the anchor and walk the boat than it was to row. And My anchor is not the right kind for the Salmon River. 35-pound lead triangle just doesn't do it. There's too many round rocks in there that it just slides over. So a lot of day was shifting and adjusting where the boat was going to be. But I find a a nice full staff in the water. Those are the $100 walking sticks that fold up, and it was covered in caddis larvae. I didn't really have any caddis, though, so we didn't really throw any of those. But I put that in with Charlie's. 
Oh, let's see what else happened that day. So we fished the rest of the afternoon and called it around you know, three or four. I can't remember, but it was Saturday. Daylight savings was going to start that night. We broke down. I decided to go meet the boys from my trip over at the lower fly zone. So I drove over to Melinda's and I picked up some materials. I wanted to tie Carolina blue San Juan worms. I wanted to get some dubbing. Just look at her spay patterns. I wanted to thank her. Uh, in September, I needed some spay plumes of marabou and I called Melinda and she picked them out and sent them to me. They were awesome, beautiful, long, light, and wispy. I bought the stuff at Melinda's. I got out um, the 10-foot Reddington rod and a shoulder bag full of flies layered up and walked up to the lower fly zone, came down a hill and, and found Scott and Thomas and Jason. Apparently, Scott had landed quite a few fish already, so that was pretty awesome on his part. Uh, I don't remember how many, but the other guys may or may not have been hooking up. I was cold. I was tired. This spot is in the shade all day, so I was even more cold. I fished for about 40 minutes and was like, all right, I want to call it. I'm done. I want to go back. I need to tie out flies that were working today, go have a nosh, and then meet up with the Healing Waters group at the American Foreign Legion at 7 for dinner. So we go back to... Oh, the, the guys go back to buy fly time material, I think, at Melinda's. But Joe is there, and I'm like, if you listen to the podcast last year, I don't want to deal with Joe at all. He's made no effort to apologize. I'm sure at some point the podcast or blog got back to him, or he's just questioning why I never contacted him in the last year. So I unpack the car. I get the timetable set up. I get my bed set up. I get the bathroom set up. I get the heat turned on get some Gatorade and stuff and whatever in the fridge and the boys show up and we all get changed, start tying some flies. Everyone's drinking some beers. And then I decided to drive into town. And it was the only time I went into town the entire trip. So go to the American Foreign Legion and I told the guys to meet me there after dinner because there's cheap beers. Turns out I thought it was at the VFW. So I go to the VFW. No one's there. It's locked. It says private event. Figure the private event is for us, but it wasn't. Talk to Dan. He gives me directions to the VFW. I'm sorry, the American Foreign Legion. I go there, and they've got the banquet room all set up, big tables for us. And again, this is a donated dinner. It's homemade biscuits. Big, and it's it's like family style. Big uh, bowls of chicken stew, which is gravy, and then these huge bowls of mashed potatoes, and then a side of peas. And after being in that cold all day, we just wanted a meal, a hot meal. And this was so fantastic. Just home cooking on a frigid, windy, cold night. It was good. And then the beers were like 250 downstairs, so we each had a beer with dinner. I was sitting with Matt Smythe. You'll know him as um, Fishing Poet. I was fishing with uh, the Hill and Waters photographer. I'm sorry, dude. I forgot your name. I had your name in the last podcast, but I forgot since then. And then Ira Strauss, who's all handsome looking when he's clean shaven. I'm used to seeing him at Somerset with facial hair. And then Dan Morgan. And we're telling all these fishing stories. Matt's telling stories about fishing in Oregon or Washington up in the high alpine deserts for trout. And 
everyone's got these great stories and we're just filling our, our pie holes with all this fantastic food. And then lo and behold, pie comes around. It's homemade apple crumbler or homemade pumpkin pie. And I love pumpkin pie's flavor, but the texture to me just, it doesn't work. And it's always just too cold. So then the lads show up. We go downstairs and have a couple drinks. There's the Ohio State game on TV. They whooped whoever they played. And I remember I married into Ohio State. So I do watch the games when they are on. We have a game at noon today. In 10 minutes, Everton is playing is it West Brom. So I'm going to take a pause. and Let's see who's on Premier League today. It's a Saturday. And we're looking at houses later. So I want to get my sports in today. Everton versus West Ham. And they also have Man U versus Arsenal later in the day. So it's a big day of football or soccer, as the layperson calls it. So I only got nine minutes left of this. Um, there's an old bowling game from the 50s. We play that. And we're there drinking beers for a couple hours. I try to keep my limit of three beers. And then... The Ford Motor Company guys are staying at the Tailwaters Lodge. If you remember from the podcast at Somerset last year, they took the old school in Altmar and built a high-end lodge and privatized the water. Now, there's a catch-22 to this. Um, I don't like privatization of water, which was previously public. A benefit of that is it keeps the litter down, but it keeps people off the water. Now, the benefit of the Tailwaters Lodge is the parking lot was full. If this lodge wasn't there, there wouldn't be 50 cars in the parking lot spending money in town on beer, on fishing license, on rods, reels, fishing equipment. There was a banquet going on. So you had a whole bunch of Trout Unlimited people there that are spending money in the town. So when you build this nice, beautiful facility with a really good-looking restaurant, a fully stocked bar, pool tables and darts, it brings people in. It's like a field of dreams. If you build it, it they will come. And people were there, and they're spending money. And this town, if you haven't been to Altmar, it's it's run down. It's got houses that have Tyvek wrapping that haven't changed since I was first there in 2001. It's depressing. The people there don't have a lot of money. And when you have groups coming in and staying there, it brings money in. So there are bad aspects to the lodge, but I think the for the local economy, it's really good. And they have a full fly shop there of high end. You've got Sims, I think, Patagonia, Fish Pond, um, all Rio lines, Rio Tippet, Patagonia bags. It was awesome. Ford Motor Company guys were like, hey, uh, go get a drink at the bar. So I get a, a dry fly whiskey. I wanted to try it. Not a big fan of it, especially now. Um, if I lift the microphone and turn my head. Oh, hello there, Pappy. I have a bottle of 20-year Pappy Van Winkle that just arrived. So uh, sorry, Dry Fly, you're going to have to take back shelf for now. When Pappy 20 is in town, you don't really drink much of anything. And don't ask me what I paid for it. After the fourth segment of this, you'll understand why Pappy is in my house right now. After the, the whiskey, I had a beer, uh, watched the guys play darts, hung out, talked to the motor company guys, called it a night at about 9.30 or 10. I wanted to get back before the rest of the boys at the Trestle Pool Lodge had lights out. I didn't want to make too much noise. So I went back there. I guess they had tied some flies, drank some beers, went to bed right as I got there, lights were out. So I brushed, contacts, 
took my pills, went to sleep, got up. I didn't have to get up too too late in the morning or too early, I should say, because we didn't have to be at Healing Waters event till, um, let's see, my Sunday notes. I don't know. Yeah, we didn't have to be there too early. So we got up. Uh, breakfast wasn't as big as yesterday, the day before on Saturday. It was colder. It was windier. Very bright. Less clouds. Definitely a lot of layers. A lot of wind. No cowboy hat. We're talking uh, Sitka gear, Inferno hat, windstopper, face mask, fingertipless gloves. Meet up with Charlie. We get in the boat, and lo and behold, National Public Radio is there. That's NPR to you if you listen to NPR. And we had them in my boat, and I will provide you the link. Let's just see if I can find it right now. No, you're listening to me right now. We're not going to go to uh, NPR. We'll play that later. It was released later on Veterans Day, and you can hear all the audio from my boat. Just note my boat is not aluminum. It is a fiberglass composite. So we get there, and fewer people. There's no camera crew. Seems to be just a quieter morning all around. We've got our groove on because yesterday we figured out the leaders and weights and flies. So we jump right into it. We go up to where Rob's boat was the day before, and Charlie starts fishing. And it doesn't take long, and he hooks something big. I mean big. His rod is bent his reel is screaming it is a king salmon it's a female and mind you i had the dumb idea that i didn't want to scratch the boat up so i decided to wear boots without spikes so i can't really walk the boat up and down like yesterday i actually slipped at one point and got water in my waders which was not cool on such a cold morning I can't get out and land the fish. And of course, my net, which is big, it's pretty damn big Fraybill net. It's not big enough for New York. It's just next year we just need to get a freaking huge net. The fish honestly takes 10 minutes to land. It's a San Juan worm. It's right uh, in the mouth. It's a female king. She goes up and down the river across. Uh, She probably took out 40 yards of backing. The guy downriver from us takes my net. He lands it. The fish is huge. I've got to use the boga grip knockoff to lip her and pull her into the boat. She's spitting eggs all over the boat. We get pictures. There's a guy on shore. So those pictures are up. I posted one to Facebook a little early. And then the rest will be, I think, on Project Healing Waters. If you don't follow the Healing Waters Friday newsletter, please do so. Remember, it's Project Healing Waters Fly Fishing dot org at phwff on instagram twitter whatever else social media dan runs and that fish has landed it's awesome we get all the hooting and hollering it's all in npr and you'll see pictures on the blog of charlie being interviewed so i learned a little bit more about charlie uh, it was sad to hear the ptsd he still goes through that he can't smell diesel fuel or hear a helicopter without having terrible memories of his time spent in Vietnam. And you can hear more about that on, um, I'll let him tell the story, which is going to be on the NPR story on line. Like I said, beautiful day, but we're across the river. The sun's in our eyes. You can't see where the fly line is swinging because we can't see anything but glare. So it's pretty tough. 
we get one steelhead to the boat. I blew the landing because I didn't have spikes on and I slipped. And as soon as the fish touched the net, it popped off. But it touched the net, so it's technically landed. It was Charlie's first landed steelhead. And I can't tell you how much of an honor it was to have Charlie in my boat, his first fly-caught ever fish to be a female king salmon that was legally caught, fair-landed, fair-hooked, everything by the books, was spectacular. And then for him the next day to catch a steelhead and land it, um, I'm always going to feel guilty about not getting a picture with him. But there are those people in life that... Don't take the fish out of the water. Don't take. Don't need the pictures. And I think Charlie is is that way. He just wanted to, to hook and fight the fish. If we weren't using that TFO reel, we really probably could have landed the fish a lot easier, quicker. Uh, the wind was picking up. We decided to take a break at noon, which was lunchtime. And of course, me being um, Ted Theodore Logan, or is it Bill S. Preston Esquire? I did not change my watch that morning to daylight savings time forgot to do your watch bill you're going to oats military school in alaska so yes we were to lunch an hour early but charlie was pretty exhausted that wind the the roll casting of the heavy lines could take a toll on you especially if you're not used to it so from there we had lunch oh actually the lunch wasn't even there maybe it was daylight savings someone else screwed up i don't know but there was no sandwiches so we hung around, had some coffee, Halloween candy, chips, some juice. There were some donuts. Don't ever let me eat a donut again. Mass-produced ones. I like the ones that you get at the farmer's market that are handmade. But the ones from like Dunkin' Donuts and, and the colossal ones here from Shoppers Food Warehouse, it's just sugar with fried sugar and, and sugar. It's disgusting. You feel so nasty when you eat one of those. I, I just, ugh. I'm getting the willies just thinking about it. Um, let me finish this up because I got to go watch some football. We so people are coming off the river. Uh, the boats are all anchored. And mind you, I went to Walmart beforehand and bought like ten rubber floor mats for cars and laid those throughout the boat so people wouldn't scratch them up. I put my spikes back on so I could have some traction. And the deal was, guys could fish after lunch on Sunday. So I waited out. And I had the right angle leader with a two-tone pink crystal meth on a red hook by Allen, red intruder hook. And then there's the stuffing from Dr. Jones's toys kind of uh, wrapped in there to look like spooge. It has this very translucency white halo to it when it's wet. Like fifth cast, I hook a steelhead. And the thing about steelhead you forget, it's been a year, is... All of a sudden, that water just explodes like a death charge went off. And then your rod shakes and the line goes taut with the steelhead. And then you hear the kaploosh. And I just forget how freaking strong these fish are. And I'm using that cheap reel. So this fish takes off. And I've got this crowd waiting for lunch behind me. And I'm running downriver, chasing this fish, cranking as fast as I can. Like I'm, I'm... you know, whisking eggs or something with my left hand. It was nuts. And the fish throws or breaks me off. I don't remember. Uh, either tied on a new fly, I don't remember, or just kept fishing the same one. Hooked two more fish in the next, like, five casts. It was effing nuts. I forgot how strong steelhead were. 
And then um, after 10 minutes, I'm not hooking up into anything. There's very few guys left on the river. I holler up. And, of course, this was 10 minutes longer on the last version and then 15 minutes longer on the version before. Uh, go grab a, a cold, like, turkey and provolone sandwich with, you know, mustard packet. And then um, I want to go meet up with my friends. The Hill Waters trip is winding down. The vets are starting to go home. They're breaking down everything. Turns out they want to get rid of all the food. And because I'm staying with friends, it all goes in my car. So I'm still weeks later working on the Costco ketchups, the Costco apple juices. We got rid of, there were salads and sandwiches, like five dozen homemade cookies, lemonades, diet Cokes, salt and pepper. Um, Everton versus West Ham has started at Goodison Park, as my phone says. So I'm going to wrap this up. Um, my car is full of drinks and food, and I go back and meet the guys. Or no, I didn't meet them first. Yes, I met the guys, and we fished the fly stretch for I don't remember how long. I might not even have. I can't remember at this point. But um, I then go to the little gas station outside Altmar, the one that's open, and get some beer, get a six-pack. I really just don't drink like I used to. Six pack for the rest of the week, and um, that's about it. I think Jason I went into town. He wanted a burger. So I got some stuff there, and then we all go back to the... Oh, I bumped into Dirty Bill at Dirty Bill's Guide Service. Now, you remember Dirty Bill got that name because he was going back to his car at some point at the upper fly zone about five years ago. And found a bunch of money and stuffed it in his waiters, came back and was telling the group of guys, hey, I found a bunch of, of money walking back to the car. And some guys like, uh, well, you know, I did take a dump in the woods a while back, maybe 100 yards down the trail and didn't have any toilet paper. So I used dollar bills. So sure enough, Dirty Bill opens up his waiters, opens up the dollars and there's crap all over them. So he's known as Dirty Bill. And I didn't recognize him. So I'm walking out with my six pack and maybe a bag of like Fritos and I hear you damn fly fishermen with your boats think you can park those damn boats anywhere. And I'm like, oh man, I pissed this dude off really good. What's he going to do to me? He's like, dude, don't you recognize me? And I'm like, ah, because the thing with the podcast and the blog, people like I was at Orvis recently and just talking to Dan and some guy said, Hey, do you do a podcast? And he turns out he's from Pittsburgh. He was in town. Just happened to recognize my voice. Um, being on social media, I get recognized by people I don't know. So this could have been some dude who just listened to me. I don't know. But it turned out he's like, hey, man, it's Dirty Bill. And I'm like, holy crap. So we, we hung out for 10 minutes and talked. And then I was like, got to get these beers back. I want to go tie flies and have um, dinner. He's like, I'll, I'll see you guys back there anyway. I'm going to go tie flies with Joe. Of course, Joe never showed up. We go back. I've now got the boat um, plugged in, so we're charging all the electronics. It's got headlights, fore and aft. It also has internal LED panels, so it's pretty cool to have the boat lit up, and you can charge cell phones off of it. What happens next? Uh, Dinner is homemade chicken and dumplings. The dumplings are made from the the chickens that they raise at the Trestle Pool Lodge. And I'm just going to pause it there. I'm going to tell you a cool steelhead story when uh, when I come back. So that's it. I'm going to go watch soccer. Let's pause right now. 
And really, let's just hope that this audio is actually working. We're at the 50-minute mark. This is going to take a while, kids. So go. Uh, good. Let's just call this the mid-break. Stop what you're doing and intermission. <laughs> You have no idea what's going on with the podcast. I just recorded a Skype one, two hours with Reba Brinkman from Hunter Banks, and with the updates to Skype and Pamela, it didn't record. So I'm pretty pissed. Um, Like I said, this is the third time I'm doing the Salmon River, so let's see if I can finish my storytelling from the Salmon River Steelhead trip this year. I'm... Probably going to go pull all my hair out when this is done. So Saturday, Sunday night, like I said, we finished our dinner and packed everything in the boat. We took our time getting up in the morning. There was no rush. We figure uh, we don't have to fight anybody at four in the morning for spots because we're going to have the boat. So we got up, had a nice leisure breakfast, uh, you know, bagels, oatmeal, coffee, tea, whatever else was available at the restaurant kitchen place at the Trestlepool Lodge. So on Monday, we floated. We got to the ramp a little after 9, got the boat in. There's not a whole lot of water, so it took four of us to get the boat off of the trailer. And while we're doing all of this, um, then we get the boat in. I leave Jason and Thomas with the boat while Scott and I drive the seven or so miles down to... Pineville, we drop my car off with the trailer, and then we drive back in his car and put put in. Now, I'm not one that normally floats moving water. I'm used to tidal waters, tidal creeks, lakes. So to fish a fast-moving water is not something I'm used to doing. Throw in the fact that uh, it's shallow. There's big rocks everywhere. That's foreign to me. And that there's people all over the river standing in the middle of the river. And there's spots where you want to drop anchor, but you just can't because there are people there. That hole's already taken, or the anchor is just not strong enough that when you drop it, it's going to hold you in place. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Man, I'm just so pissed that that podcast didn't record. This is like becoming the thing with me now that these podcasters keep getting effed up. 
whether it's on my desktop recording here on the netbook or on the handheld recorder. It's just effing ridiculous. So we get in, we go uh, by tailwaters and we go down and we jump out in various spots to fish. We spent most of the time, maybe the muskrat hole above it, I don't remember, but it's um, all to ourselves. There's a couple of spinning guys up top, a couple of pinners and egg sack floaters. We get out. It's it's cold. It's windy. It's overcast. We're all layered up, and we're swinging flies, doing the rotation, eggs, nymphs, buggers, intruders, worms, spawn, and then just do it over and over again, and you're changing the colors and cutting off tippet and retine. And at one point, I think it was Scott noticed there's a pretty fresh king salmon just sitting right there in the middle. Thomas ties on, or he already had on a popsicle, and throws it at it a couple times. On like the fourth or fifth cast, that damn fish swam over and smacked that uh, smacked that fly with its mouth, and he was on. I don't know how long the fight took, but of course, we just don't have big enough nets for king salmon. So the fight was awesome. There's lots of great pictures of it, but in the end, Thomas just could not get that fish to hand. So there's all sorts of pictures on the blog now. That blog was just posted. I Like I said, I took all of November off. Uh, we'll get to that later. So we keep floating. We go down another maybe quarter mile, hop out, and doing the rotation of eggs, nymphs, buggers, intruders, sucker spawn, crystal meth, doing it over again. We're not getting any fish. So that we're doing you know, like 30, 30 minutes per hole. We jump back in the boat. We go down river. And I think we're now in the bovines. There's a couple boats below us. And we're drifting. And out, it's nice out. The sun's up. We're yeah, thinking about eating lunch there. It's a nice, pretty spot. And I've got on a chartreuse San Juan worm with that flat pearl braid stuff. Like I said, this was over a month ago. So my memory is a little out of it. And it's, God, it's 9 o'clock at night now. This is the first time I've been able to record since the last time. Right as the boat below us shoves off, he goes right into the middle of the river, and guess what happens to me? I hook a steelhead on that chartreuse worm. Have a little sip right here. I'm celebrating. We got a house today, so I'm having a Pappy Van Winkle 20 year. We so the guys are all above me. I'm on the bottom of of the run, the riffle, and I hook into a fish. And that guy backs his boat right over it. I don't know what happened, if the boat touched the tippet or what, but he popped off. We got back in the boat. We spent a good hour there, you know, snacking. People had some beers, just hanging out, enjoying the sun. We float down some more. And, of course, the story would have been so much better if it, if it was recorded a month ago. What happened next? We go right above the trestle pool, and it's just a perfect spot. There's boulders for a riffle and then you go to this run and a bend pool and it's just perfect water i can see steelhead right in front of me moving through i can see salmon there's seagulls on the other side picking that stuff and i'm swinging i've got my 11 foot rod with this skagit short and i'm laying lying down and across and not getting anything on the intruders i go through the rotation and nothing i go to indicators nothing you got three or four of us working this beautiful hole absolutely nothing is going on there's a couple guys down below at the trestle pool hole they're not hooking fish a couple guys above us it just looks like it's one of those slow days 
I mean, I can tell there's fish right at my feet. Literally, there's a fish two feet in front of my shins. And it, he just sat there for a minute and they just kept going. We couldn't get any love. So we camped out there for a little bit longer. We had lunch, which consisted of some salami and smoked cheese, some dehydrated meals that, you know, you pour the hot water in and then you shake it up and stick it in your waders to keep you warm. A couple of beers. We spent some time shooting the pellet guns. That was fun. Um, yeah, 10 feet away, those things wouldn't pop a, a paper plate or put a hole through a can. So we had a nice, nice long lunch there. Uh, took a break, you know, peed. I think we each, uh, you know, a couple of us maybe had a cigar a pipe with some pipe tobacco in it. And we fished again, probably another 30, 40 minutes. It's getting late now. It's probably 2 o'clock. It's getting late now at 6 because it's daylight savings. So we pack up everything from lunch, get in the boat, and, and head on down. We stop at one of these little side braided channels, and you know, you keep fishing these beautiful holes that we have all to ourselves, and, and absolutely just no love from the fish. I don't know what the deal is. And we, we see people, we talk to them. You wonder how these people got to the spots they're fishing. They're in the absolute middle of nowhere along the river. There have got to be some trails that are there that I just don't know about. We go around the bend, and there's just big seagulls eating dead salmon. Of course, I took a couple pop shots with the, the pellet gun at those dead salmon, which is kind of gross. They went right through them. They're all bloated and floating. And um, So we get to the spot. I'm like, all right, guys, there's be a big bend up ahead and just pine trees everywhere. It's absolutely stunning. And I've never seen fish in there. I've never seen an angler in there. But lo and behold, as we pull around the bend, there are people all over the place, and we look down in four feet of water, and the boulders are pretty big. They're about the size of an ottoman, not like the Ottoman Empire, but the kind you put your feet on. And their steelhead are just sliding out of the way, just kind of gliding, you know, moving a fin and a tail and scooting off to the left or scooting off to the right. And we're like, holy crap, we got a fish here. And there's bugs coming off everywhere. It's The scenery's perfect. There are bugs coming off, and there's fish. But we can't drop anchor because there's chicks and dudes on both sides of the water. So we go down to the bottom past everybody and drop anchor, start fishing, and somebody hooks a fish. I can't remember. I think it was Jason or Thomas. It was a month ago. I have no idea, but the fish was on long enough for us to take pictures and grab the net, but nothing. I thought the fish... There are fish popping up everywhere. I thought they were feeding on some of the midges and emergers, so I put on some small stone flies and some small pheasant tails, um, indicators, played with the weight, split, shot, everything. Couldn't get a bite. Tried the whole gamut of flies, and by now it's it's getting dark. The sun is it's getting near the horizon, so we turn on the boat lights, and thankfully the new house has uh, boat parking, and I can plug the boat in to charge it before... I go on any trips. From there, we go down to it's either the refrigerator or the compactor pool. I can't remember. It's got it's a fifteen minute walk up from Pineville. It's got the huge wall on the side. We fish there five minutes tops, and then we get in the the boat with the lights on. And we go through what I've always been told is just called Pinball Alley, shallow, wide river with boulders and rocks everywhere. These rocks are covered in aluminum scratches and. Fiberglass scratches, Coleman Red Canoe, Coleman Green Canoe, and now they have Stealth Craft boat all over them. 
and they hurt. When you hit these rocks, it's it's not pleasant. Thankfully, the boat didn't get dinged up, banged up too much. Maybe one little dent, a couple scratches, nothing too serious. We pull in just as the sun is below the horizon now, so it's it's dark. Thomas jumps out at the boat ramp, so we have less weight in the boat. Not saying anything about your weight, Thomas, but just easier to maneuver. I want to be able to drop anchor, pull the boat up onto the ramp, run up, get the car trailer, get out of there before it's too dark. And that all went, went on without a hitch. Got the boat out. Because if you miss that, you either got to walk your boat back upstream or you got to take out at the at the next uh, turnout, takeout. So it was um, it was dark, got the heat on, and of course, the nasty car is so full of gear, all the guys have to ride in the drift boat while we're driving, and it's cold. So they're all bundled up, tuckered down, hunkered down, whatever you want to call it, for the five, ten-minute ride back. They all get in Jason's car, and we head straight back to the lodge because we are famished. And the dinner that night was chili, homemade chili, which is, like I said earlier, it's always appreciated when you've been out fishing all day in the cold and you're tired. So we've got chili and cornbread and some cheese, hot sauce, had a great meal. We tie up some more flies, you know, maybe a dozen of what seemed to be working that day, some Jumbo Johns, tied up some more intruders, because the plan the next day is to fish the lower fly zone. So we're going to go back there to our, our favorite spot and fish it. So we do that. We get up at the butt crack. So we're watching, I don't know, James Bond drinking beer, having a good time, laughing and all that. And then we get up. Well, I don't get up. I decide to sleep in. They're all uh, young guys. They can get up. A little earlier than me. So they went out. They claimed the spot in, in, you know, four or five in the morning. Thanks, guys. So I was quite grateful for that. I got up, had a slow breakfast, and, and made my way over there. Thomas and Scott fished for four hours, and their plan was to, well, I got on the four hours, noon. Fish till noon, and then drive back to D.C. So they all were fishing. Everyone's hooking up. We're all hooking up on on, you know, kind of everything we're throwing at them. Except for me. I am not hooking into a single fish. And it sucked. And I just didn't have confidence. I was going through the routine, changing my flies, and I'm just not getting any love from the fish. We meet up with some guys. Oh, a cat followed me the whole way down there. It was kind of weird. I'm not a cat person. A cat followed me. Oh, yeah. So the Montreal guys are pretty hilarious. One of them works for Orvis in Montreal, and they're speaking their French-Canadian to each other. And I thought we'd do a shore lunch pretty good. These guys did a grilled cheese sandwiches. They had a camp stove and the skillet. They also did Nutella on cinnamon raisin bread. They had a little espresso machine. Um, they weren't really hooking up either. You know, it, was, it was a slow morning. Um, four hours passed. Scott landed one finally. And then they took off, and within three minutes, I'll say, of them leaving, I hooked in my first fish, and that was on suckers, crystal meth, yellow crystal meth. And then I hooked in another fish. I lost that one too. And then the third fish was not going to lose, and it did not want to come to the net. It swam under a log. I pulled it out. Jason and I are running circles all over each other, and we finally get the fish landed, and I get my picture with my steelhead, the one steelhead that um, I wanted to catch. I just wanted to land a fish. I was happy. 
Now we had to get Jason on fish, and we tried and tried. And I got to pause right now. So, uh, yeah, the fish gets released. We get some pictures of it. It looks awesome. Um, Jason and I fished the rest of the day. It was slow. There were times where I'd hang out with the Montreal guys for a good, uh, good like 15, 20 minutes just sitting there. Um, Jason and I fished probably until like four in the afternoon, maybe three. We fished, you know, a couple hours. His, he was going to arrive home, drive home, and I was figure out, spend the night. Um, it's not too often I can sleep in and have nobody hit me for sleep snoring and no kids and dogs waking me up. So Jason and I went back. We got him all packed up and, and got him out. Um, I packed up the nasty car as much as I could and, and sat down. And um, It was hot dog night on Tuesday. And there was leftover chili, so I had some chili dogs. And I had a can of uh, Chef Boyardee right out of the can. And from there... I just watched TV and, and went to bed kind of early. The plan was get up early, get the rest of the stuff in the car, drive into town, get some fly time material at All Seasons, go to Tops, get barbecue sauce, craft beer, get a tank of gas, and have a nice leisurely drive home. So I got to All Seasons, and I picked up some ostrich plume for the Snow White Damsels. Got to tie a bunch of those next month at Somerset. They have the best selection of big nets. So I think if I, if I continue going up there, I'm just going to buy one of those big landing nets from them. They have the best selection, and apparently they have a really good warranty on them. From there, I went, got a tank of gas, had to replace the fuse on the car, went to the grocery store where I got a whole bunch of barbecue sauces from Dinosaur. I got two different types of Dinosaur hot sauce and Cholula green pepper. I'm a big green pepper hot sauce fan. The reds are good, but... I like jalapeno, and they had it. I'm going to get them on Amazon to get myself a whole case. It's that good. Then I got the wife some craft beer and some dinosaur barbecue potato chips. Went to Dunkin', got a cup of coffee, and I was on the road exactly 9.30 sharp. So I should have been home like 3.30. And it's an easy drive. Of course, the nasty car and the boat electronics just don't like each other, so I blew another fuse. Pulled into a gas station, filled up, got some more fuses. Um, and this time I'm realizing that don't put the 10s in, put in the 20s or the 35s. That seems to last longer. And I'm, I'm making great time. I fill up in Wilkes-Barre and I'm like, you know what? I'm making such great time. I'm just going to fill the tank up. I'm not even going to bother getting a sandwich at Sheets. Just going to drive straight home. I got some snacks. I got some coffee and I got some water. So I'm driving, I pass Wilkes-Barre, and about 35 minutes, 40 minutes past Wilkes-Barre, and it's a long straightaway, and I'm just driving in my car, looking out the window, and I'm like, man, that smells weird. It must be, what is that smell? It's got to be like the factories around here. And then all of a sudden, I push on the gas, and the odometer just, just doesn't react. The car just goes, vroom, 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 and the odometer is just spinning around, and my car won't accelerate anymore so i go as far as i can and i pull over nasty cars pulled over on the side of the road with the boat in the back and it turns out my transmission blew i'm three hours from home so it's about one o'clock call AAA, and they get a car out and i also told them i had a trailer and a boat so two two trucks had to come out 
And they drive me about 20 minutes, 30 minutes into some small coal mining town to their shop. And we go over the options. The options are get my car fixed. I can. I was going to camp out or they could get me a rental car. I could drive home or I could stay above in the apartment, above the shop, or they could take me and get me a U-Haul. So I said, well, what is it going to cost to get my car fixed? They're like, too much. And I call my, my um, mechanic and I'm like, Ray, I'm in this coal mining town in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. My transmission blew. What's it going to cost me? He's like, I charge you 3500 And that's a generous 3500 I was like, well, my car is worth 1800 at the most. So after long decisions, it's getting dark now. So it's like three, three or four in the afternoon by the time we get back there and everything's straightened out. So the deciding thing is um, I'm going to sell my car for scrap. They're going to take me all the way to Hazleton to get a U-Haul truck. And I'll come back, put everything in the U-Haul truck, and then they'll cut me a check and I'll drive off with the boat. Easier said than done. So they drive me to Hazleton. That's a good 30 minutes. I get the U-Haul drive back. That's a good 50 minutes. And now it's pretty much dark. Um, I sign the car over to the shop. They give me, well, they were going to give me $500 for the boat. But there's the extra charge for, they charged me to drive me to Hazleton. I would have Ubered there, but there's probably not Uber up there. They charge me to trailer the boat back, and then they charge me extra additional whatever AAA fees for driving farther than like the five miles allowed by AAA. So all said and done, they cut me a check for $255. The cost of the U-Haul with the trailer hitch was $340. So it started out as a great trip to go help people. Now is just screwing me in the goat hole. I mean, I'm just royally effed at this point. I'm exhausted. I'm, I have not eaten since 9 o'clock in the morning. Um, I'm tired. I haven't pissed in like six hours. So I have the U-Haul backed into the parking lot where the CRV is, the nasty car. It's parked along a wall, so the driver's side and the pass the whatever the, the back left of the car is against a three foot drop off. So now I've got to transfer everything from my car. So it's all my guiding material for the trip, all my guiding material that was in the car already. Plus all of the fishing gear, like the camping gear, the warm weather gear, all the layers, all the stuff I needed for the trip, everything else that was in my car on top of my car, whatever. So first we get out the stereo. That's good. And I've got the headlights on so I can light up the back of the U-Haul truck as I move everything. Uh, I find one headlamp and the side of it opens. All the batteries fall out down the hill on the wall. It's gone. Find my other headlamp. Batteries are dead. So I'm like, great. So for the next three hours, it seems, two hours, I'm using an iPhone that's on 40% battery to move everything from my CRV into the U-Haul. And while I'm doing this, it's pitch black out. I can't see anything. I lose the recorder. I lose all of my fingertipless gloves, all my windstopper hats, all my net gaiters, uh, like $100, $200, probably $200-something worth of hats and gloves. 
and that Gators. So I'm putting all that stuff in the car and gutting my car. What can I take? Got to take the license plates off. Uh, don't forget about the magnetic car holders. Don't forget the bike rack. Well, the bike rack after 30 minutes wouldn't come off. And I'm like, well, the trailer hitch is worth 100-something, so I'm going to take that off. So the car's all emptied out. I put a Mustad 2-watt hook through my finger, so I'm bleeding profusely everywhere. And I'm covered in dirt and dust and transmission fluid, and my contacts are filthy. And it's like 6.30 now. Battery's almost done on my phone. And I get out of the car trying to rip off the trailer hitch. Well, all I've got is a leather man and a fillet knife. And it's not working. So I go back to the shop, and there's 50 minutes between before everyone leaves. So they all um, – one kid comes out, the kid who drove me to Hazleton. He comes out with an electric lug nut wrench thing and, and gets off eight of the 11 bolts holding on. He's like, I can't get the rest off. I got to go home. Um, I get under there and realize all you have to do is remove the muffler, and it's easy to screw, unscrew the rest. Well – I go back to find the guy, and he's gone. So I take out the leather man and the fling knife and cut out the muffler and the tailpipe and just throw it on the ground. It's not my car anymore. I don't give an F. I'm tired. My bladder's full. I'm hungry. I'm exhausted emotionally and physically. And I just spent $160 making sure that my car would make it up there. So now I'm under the car. And I'm like, all right, I can't get these last lug nuts off. And I dig around the car, and finally I was like, all right, there's wrenches for changing tires. One of them doesn't work. The second one does. So now I've got to brace my thigh up against the car. So I ruined my – I'm wearing them now, my Cabela's uh, work pants, which were like 60 bucks. They're just all stained up because I use my thigh as, as leverage. And after about five minutes, I get the first lug nut off. Five minutes later, the second one. Rip the whole trailer hitch off, throw it in the back of the U-Haul. So everything's packed now. Then I'm like, you know what? There's a card table inside every CRV. So I rip out the back, take the card table out, throw that in my U-Haul. And now I'm like, well, now I got to get the boat attached. Well, it's kind of hard because they back the boat in to the same parking lot. And I can't back a U-Haul to get a trailer hitch to line up. So one of the, the last employees was there. He did it for me. And then the fuses blow. And I'm like, you know what? I've got in the car already. I take every effing fuse out of the Honda CRV, put it in my pocket. And finally it's the 35 that keeps the lights on. And now I've got to do GPS on my phone, which is dying. So I get plugged in how to get out of this town and back to 81. And there's an easy way. It took me the long way. So I don't get on to 81 until about 7.30, 7.40, maybe 8 o'clock. And I'm driving down 81. I'm like, hey, man, you know, I could go to the 901 pub and get dinner, but F it. I'm driving a U-Haul, and the weather's changing, and I'm trailering a boat. And I'm driving and driving, and it starts to rain. And finally, it's been like two hours or an hour and a half. I don't know. And I finally pass um, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And I'm headed down towards Baltimore. And I hit a bump on a bridge. And the boat trailer falls off the U-Haul. It's pouring rain. It's pitch black out. It's probably in the 30s. I look in the rearview mirror. And my boat is still attached by the safety chains. 
So I'm driving and I, I look in the rearview mirror and there's just sparks flying. Um, my boat is just zigzagging back and forth. Everybody behind me just hits the brakes and I somehow can get over to the right lane. Um, I got to lift the boat up. It's cutting my hands. I get it on the trailer, lock it down again, and I'm off. Uh, I finally pass Lancaster. I find a sheets. I go in there, get a sandwich, fries, and guess what? The fuses are all dead again. So I got to go through. It takes me seven fuses for the car, the, the lights on the trailer to stay on. Seven. This is like the night from hell. It's now, what time is it when I'm at Lancaster? 11.30 maybe? 11? So I drive the rest of the way through Maryland in the pitch black, in the pouring rain. I will tell you it's kind of nice to be elevated when you're driving in a U-Haul. You can kind of, I don't know, you just feel safer up there. So I'm just, you know, pissed. It's been a rough month for me. This, uh, October was bad. Um, just like I'm heartbroken at this point. The car's gone. What is it going to cost me? We're trying to buy a house. And um, finally drive, hit Baltimore, hit the – I'm not going to take the Baltimore-Washington Parkway back because there's a lot of potholes. And the last thing I want is that trailer to pop off again. It was um, it was an awful ride. It, it pissed rain the whole way back. I finally get back to Annandale at 1 o'clock on Thursday morning. Remember, I left at 9.30 a.m. on Wednesday. Pull up to the house with the boat in tow and just take everything from the U-Haul, throw it in my wife's car. Throw the trailer hitch apparatus on the grass. And now I've got to go find somewhere to park the boat. Well, if you've heard the stories, uh, where I've been parking my boat on one street, they converted the entire street now to high school parking. Can't park there. So I go to where it was parked last year when the drunk driver hit it. It's all full of cars. So I do about four laps around the entire neighborhood looking for a place, and there's nothing. So I end up going about three to four miles down the street through Annandale, where I finally find a street where I hope I can park it. Now remember, I don't have a car. I don't have a trailer hitch. There's no way I can move this car or the boat. So hopefully I don't get a ticket. I find out the U-Haul place is down the street. So U-Haul's empty. Boat and trailer are off. I drive down to Springfield, which is now literally across the street from where we just bought our house, and drop off the U-Haul paperwork. I walk a quarter mile to Kilroy's, which is a bar, and they're still open. So I go in, and my old friend from DC United tailgating days, Melanie's there. And I'm like, holy crap, are you a sight for sore eyes? She's like, what can I get you? I'm like, I just need the biggest club soda you can give me. I'm so thirsty. This has been the day from hell. And I Uber a car, and as I'm waiting for the Uber, I tell her the whole story, and I pop my body. I can smell my body odor the whole drive home, and I know I'm sticking up this whole bar. Okay, so I Uber the ride home, and it's some dude from Turkey, and I oh, what happened? I finally get home 1:30, um, get into bed, and, and that's it. That's the end of the horrible story. It took about a day or two to get all the crap out of my wife's car. It's not even unpacked. I haven't even tied a fly. Like I said, I took off all of November. I didn't have a car until a couple days ago. So I haven't made a single penny in the last 38, 40 days. So I'm finally back to guiding uh, this coming week. It looks like we're going to have to do another podcast with Reba. Oh, crap. Um, Yeah, something good's got to happen besides getting a house. 
Got a used Honda CRV. Had a tape deck, so I put the old stereo in there. I'm hopefully getting the trailer hitch installed tomorrow. Uh, my car's got a sunroof. It's clean. That's about it. I'm just beat right now. It's 930. Um, so let's hope we can find the old dat. Maybe somewhere it bounced out into all the junk that's in the fishing closet that hasn't been unpacked yet. And we'll do the lost tapes. But that's it. Thanks for listening to the up and downs of the Project Healing Waters trip, which turned into not fun for me. So I got to go back and look at the pictures, listen to the NPR story, and that makes me feel better. So if I can get the Reba podcast up, um, you'll hear that one next. Thanks so much. Jason, take it away. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.